Well, the rest of you that are left here with me, why don't you stand back up to your feet? So, Father, we just thank you for your name. That your word says that your name is the name that is above every name. And so right now, I don't know what everyone's going through, what your week has looked like, but whatever it is, it has to bow to the name of Jesus. And so right now, Jesus, we just magnify you. We lift up your name. We thank you that there is nothing that is higher than you. So when I submit myself to you, God, you exalt me. You lift me up. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you are higher than any form of lack. You are higher than any form of sickness. You are higher than any form of lack of understanding. We know, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of everything that we will ever need in this life and in any time that will come forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. How's everybody doing this week? Yeah? Well, this morning, you guys get a treat. I'm going to teach, do some teaching this morning, and it's something that I have not taught on, not even one single time in the last 12 years that I've been pastoring here at Word Church. You are the first ones that get to hear this topic preached by me. And that is, we're going to talk on the end times this morning. And so what we're, what we're wanting to cover this morning is I want to tell you who, who the Antichrist is. I'm going to unveil his name. We're, we're, going to, we're going to give you the date of when Jesus is going to return. We are going to let you know exactly what the mark of the beast is. Oh, come on, guys. You, you know I'm 100% joking. And anyone who says they can answer those questions for you, run from. They are a lunatic. And they have not actually studied the Bible. And so... This morning, there's some things that we will be focusing on and some things that we will not be. And I'll just say right up, we are not going to take a look at the book of Revelation this morning. We are not looking at Daniel, his prophetic visions. We're not looking at Ezekiel. We're not looking at Zechariah. And there's a very specific reason for that. We have much clearer pictures in the rest of the New Testament that explain those things. And when you take the book of Revelation, you have to understand something very simple. John was trying to describe something he had never seen before. And so some of the imagery and things that he's relating it to, he doesn't know what a skyscraper is. He doesn't know what a tank is. And so, so when we try to apply our thinking to his thinking, there is, you can get very, very off very, very quickly. Now, there is so much good that we can pull from the book of Revelation and Daniel's vision and Zechariah and Ezekiel. There are good things that they say, but I always say take the highest route. And we have a man in the New Testament. His name is the Apostle Paul. He pioneered pretty much all of the first churches and also taught quite a bit on this subject. And most people ignore everything he had to say and go to these things that they don't understand over the very clear imagery that Paul talks about. And so I want you to understand as we start talking this morning, I am less concerned with what we will face ahead and more concerned with how 
we face it as Christians. And that is a very, very important posture when we talk about Revelation, end times, Armageddon, apocalypse, any of those things. It's not about what, it's about how we face them. Because you know, you are sons and daughters of Almighty God. You stand righteous before him because of the work of Jesus who is this yesterday, today, and forever. So nothing that will come will change your position with him and his standing on you. And so the how is much more important than the what. And so this morning, I would like to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, what do we need to know about Timothy? This is not going to be one of those rah, rah, rah messages, just so you know. We are going to do some teaching. We're going to break some scriptures down. And the thing you need to know about the book, first and second, both first and second Timothy, is that they are what we call pastoral epistles. We have the regular epistles that, you know, the Ephesians, Galatians, first and second Corinthians, but Timothy, both books are what we call pastoral epistles. And what do we mean by that is Paul was mentoring and teaching Timothy how to mentor and teach other leaders. And so it has a different tone. They talk about things in those two books that they don't talk about in the other epistles. And so Paul is very much trying to be specific with Timothy. He's trying to teach him how to teach others. So if he was trying to get to Timothy how to teach, then we can learn through those things. And so I want to start in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And in verse 14 it says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. So first off, Paul is writing this letter, but this is a conversation he was also wanting to have with Timothy face to face. So he sees it as important. And he says, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, these are things that I'm going to talk about that are very applicable to your everyday conduct with the church. There's the church local and there's the church universal. There's us as believers which make up the body, which is the church, but then there's also local churches like here in Word Church. And so Paul says, I want to talk to you about how you ought to conduct yourself. And in verse 16, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And so here, he lays out the boundaries of which the scope of this topic is going to be covered in. Before he even starts it, he wants Timothy to be reminded that God came in the flesh. And isn't that what John told us in the first chapter of the book of John? That God became flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. Who was God manifested in the flesh? Jesus. Who was justified in the Spirit? Jesus. And because of his justification, you now stand justified. Your righteousness is not based on your works, it's based upon his works. And so he's giving us boundaries. 
And when we give our children boundaries, we expect them to stay within them for their benefit, right? So he's starting with boundaries before he even talks about the subject. He says Jesus was preached among the Gentiles. Jesus was a very real person. He was fully God, fully man, and he had a ministry here on earth. He went to the cross. He died for you. He went to the grave. He was risen again. He was seen by his disciples after the resurrection, and then he was received up into heaven. Now, when the Bible was written... They didn't have chapter and verse. Those were put there by the translators for ease of understanding, and it doesn't always help. He didn't end his thought process in chapter 3. The very next verse, which is chapter 4, verse 1, says, Now, or because of, they are connected. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will. Everyone say will depart from the faith. So Paul is stating a matter of fact. With his understanding of what is to come, he wants Timothy to know and to share with others, there are going to be Christians that walk away. It's going to happen. It's already happening. It's something that we don't need to be concerned about. Yes, we, we don't like to see people walk away. But Paul's telling us it's going to happen. It's a matter of fact. There are people that are going to give up. But when I look at that, it reminds me of, I say, I'm not giving up. Yeah. I'm not departing. It doesn't matter if everyone else is unfaithful. My, one of my favorite verses, and I quoted it last week, is because some were not faithful, does that make the faithfulness of God of no effect? And his next verse says, certainly not. And so you will see people you know walk away. It's okay. Keep pursuing God. Encourage them when you can. But it's a matter of fact. He said will, not might. They will depart from faith, and he tells us why. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He's not talking about having a theological basis for talking about spiritology or demonology. He's talking about those that are being influenced by ideas that are anti-God. And we see that even right now in our generation, and I will go ahead and say this, I do not believe we are in the end times. We are approaching, but we are not there yet. And so we will see people begin to believe things that are anti-God that should not change our beliefs. It says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, that's a very important scripture because for the last three weeks, we've been talking about keeping your heart soft before God and not hardening your heart. And how Paul describes these that walk away is that they've hardened their heart to the point that it's become seared as with like a hot iron. What happens when flesh becomes seared? It becomes unresponsive. It loses all feeling. It loses all touch. It becomes basically dead flesh attached to you. And so he tells us the reason why they open themselves up to these types of thinking, the anti-God thinking, is because they've hardened their hearts. And isn't that what the last week we were talking about, Hebrews chapter 3, where like four times in the chapter, he said, don't harden your heart as like those who were in rebellion. Why did he keep saying it over and over again? 
because this is the result of when you allow yourself to become more callous and more callous to the things of God. You know, as we pursue God, we should become more receptive to his things, more interested in the listening to his voice and following his leading and taking him up on the opportunities that he gives us. And if we find ourselves where it's like, you know, I haven't done anything outside of the ordinary for God in a while, you have to ask yourself, how much have we been listening? Because there are people you walk by every day in desperate need of his love and his hope. And as we become sensitive, we begin to recognize what's going on around us. And a hardened heart will, allow, will stop us from seeing those opportunities. So, he said that in the last times, we're going to walk away because of these reasons. And in verse 6 of that chapter, he says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. This is not something that we shouldn't talk about. This is something that we need to talk about and understand. You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. Next verse is very important. He says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Basically, Paul goes ahead and equates a lot of what people talk about this topic as just old wives' fables. And there is some ridiculousness going on even right now in the body of Christ with the things that they talk about this subject is just absolutely ludicrous insanity. And it's like, have you read the Bible recently? And the reason why I wanted to do this message is because ever since this pandemic hit back in March, I've been seeing an increase of more and more stupidity. And there's nothing better to say than that from Christians who should know better. People that I love and respect saying things that I don't see reflected in the word. And if, I, if you're seeing even a fraction of those things from people you know or whatever, it's enough for us to say, well, maybe we should go back and have a balanced approach on this. So that's my heart and why we're doing this series is because there are people right now that are already going off the deep end in this subject, and we are to be balanced with the word. Amen? So let's go and look, take a look at something Jesus had to say. If you want to join me over in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus is with his disciples. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. They're not, they've just come from the temple. And while they were walking by the temple, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you see this temple here? There's going to come a time where it will be completely torn down, not even one stone will be left unturned off of another. And so that's the conversation they just have. They've gone on their walk, and they sit down on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately in verse 3, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be a sign of your coming and the end of the age? So you first note, must note, they asked three questions. One was, when is that the temple thing going to happen? When, what is the sign of your coming, and how will we know it's the end of times? So Jesus, in his response, in the verses that follow, is addressing three different questions, and one of them exists in a sec different time frame than the others. It was not long after this that the Jews pushed the Romans over the edge, as they did many times through history, 
And basically, the leader of the Romans in that area was like, we have had enough of you crazy Jews, your anarchist beliefs, your Zionists that are killing people and trying to create upheaval. We just can't have this anymore. So they sent the legions into Jerusalem. They began slaughtering the population. Their instructions were this, don't touch the temple. We're going to need that. Well, in the midst of all the chaos going on, a fire was started in the temple, according to Jewish historians. And it started to burn. And as it was burning, it was coated in gold in everything that it was. And the gold began to run down in between all of the stones. And the Roman soldiers began to tear stones off so that they could get to the gold. And so what Jesus was talking about, about the temple being destroyed, was fulfilled just a few years after this conversation. And so we have to understand in Matthew chapter 24, there's a duality being spoken about. There's things that are going to happen very near in their future versus things that are being going to happen very distant in their future. And so we need to be able to separate the two things. The temple was destroyed. It currently still sits in a state of disrepair. And so we know some of these things have already taken place. But Jesus' next instructions are more important than all of the other things. He says in verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. That is already happening and has been happening since Jesus went home. There, throughout history, we've seen many rise up and say, I'm the Christ, I've returned. And even right now, to give you a, a closer uh, reference in history, there's a guy in Miami, even right now, telling people he's Jesus. And he has a church filled with followers. Basically, gullible people right now. And so I want to tell you this, guys, when Jesus returns, you will not miss it. You will know it has happened. There's no mistaking. It says that he will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and trumpets. That's not something that will be missed. And last time I, I checked, I hadn't seen that in Miami <laughs> or any of these other things. And so I'm just pointing that out as one example. Guys, you will not miss it. When he comes back, there will be no mistaking it. But there's other things that must take place place first. In verse 6, he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. We live in a time where there's, there's lots of whispers going on of, can the United States fight a battle with China right now and win? Or, you know, what about Russia? And I'll let you know, right now there is economic warfare going on. And it doesn't take much for economic warfare to turn into real warfare. But Jesus' instruction is, see that you're not troubled. What did he like to say? Neither let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There can be things going on around us in the world, but they should not be getting us worked up because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we're hearing it now, which tells us the end is not yet. 
There's actually a greater sign that we'll get into later. And he says in verse 7, he says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, or a way you could say it is pandemics, and earthquakes. There's been a rise of earthquakes in the earth in the last few years in various places. All these are the beginning. So we are not at the end. And the thing with beginnings is in the Bible, they're not always short periods. Beginnings can last for quite a while. And so we don't need to be concerned that, because I've been hearing, just pull it out there, people saying we are living in the tribulation right now. You will not miss, you will, you'll be able to know. Come on, come on. These are the beginnings. You will hear rumors of wars, threats of war. There may even be war. It says nation will rise against nation. That's been happening for 2,000 years. There's been empires that have grown up. There's been empires that have fallen. And they will continue to do so until it is time. And so the question that Jesus, or that Jesus' disciples asked him, and it's a question that's ever on a lot of people's mind, is tell us when will these things be? And this is what we need to have as a posture for as children of God living in this time. The, one of the very last verses of the book of Revelation tells us something Jesus said. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In the King James Bible, surely I am coming quickly is in red because John wanted people to know that that was Jesus speaking, or the translators wanted people to know that John was recognizing it as Jesus. And so John's perspective 2,000 years ago was, it's happening quickly. And our posture as Christians should always be one of, it's going to happen soon, we should take as many people with us as possible. And there's a complacency coming, that's been coming on the body of Christ over the last number of years that there's no urgency. If Jesus were to come back today, what about all the people you've been ignoring every day? Jesus' last instructions before, to his disciples before leaving was, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. And that commission has never changed. And so there should be an urgency that comes on the body of Christ in this season, knowing God is, could come back very soon. What about those around me? I want to take them with me. So now let's jump over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. You doing okay? Now, the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is important to note that Paul was addressing questions that they had. We don't know how he got the questions, whether they sent a letter to him, whether they sent a messenger, but in the way he writes, the style of writing to them, he answers almost like a list of questions that they had. And this was one of the topics of the questions that they had 
that they had in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and to give you the context, immediately leading up to in the last half of chapter 4, he was answering the question of what about those who die before Jesus gets here, and when is he going to return? And so Paul does a little bit of answering in that, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, he said, but concerning the times and season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. So Paul's opinion on this entire subject is that they didn't even need for him to answer these questions. You know the answer. He says in verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So we were talking about in Matthew chapter 24, that there will be wars and rumors of war, there'll be plagues, there'll be famines, there'll be all these things, but I said there's a greater sign. You want to know what the greater sign is? He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, for when they say peace, safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The greater sign to watch for is peace not war there has been lots of war but to have universal peace that's a sign to watch for because you have countries around this world that have never known peace between each other and when you see peace start coming upon those nations that's a greater sign to watch for we're even seeing right now in the Middle East countries that have never had peaceful relations with Israel now having peaceful religion, re relations. As you see that increase, that is a stronger sign than wars, rumors and wars, famines and pestilences and all these things. When you see peace come upon suddenly, you know it's about to break loose. Just to keep that in mind. And so he says, peace and safety, then sudden destruction coming upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, everyone say, but me. but me. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. He's now about to give you instructions. But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness. So this day should not overtake you as a thief. You should be able to sense in your heart as the day approaches. And as I said, my feeling on it is, we're getting close, but we're not there yet. You shouldn't be overtaken unaware. Verse 5 says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the darkness, of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That word means clear-minded. We should have an understanding of these things so that we can recognize things as they happen. He said, for those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There is so much in that verse to unpack. He's talking about the posture we should have. We know the one we shouldn't have. We shouldn't be troubled. We shouldn't have anxiety about these things. We shouldn't be confused about as what's going to happen. But he wants to tell us here in this verse the posture that we should have. He says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. 
question for you. Think about armor. Where does the breastplate protect? It protects your heart. We've just spent the last three weeks talking about keeping your heart soft before God, hardening not your heart. And how do you do it? You keep it soft in faith and love. So as you see people getting worked up about things and being angry about how things are going, your posture should be, I will believe God. I will let his love flow to me and through me. And not only that, he says also a helmet of the hope of salvation. What is hope? It's a confident expectation of good things to come because of your salvation, because of who you are in Christ Jesus, because of the promises he's made before you for you. And those promises are still yes and amen today, and they will remain that way forever. And so while you see others begin to be freaked out about things and concerned about things that are going on in our world, guard your heart and your mind. As we know, the common verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Whatever season you live in, that never stops being true. If you've got a problem, you've got a God to go to. You've got the name of Jesus to pull on. You've got wisdom that will flow to you. You've got provision that will flow to you. You've got healing for your body that will flow to you. Whatever season, the beginning or the end, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So tell God what you and thank him for all he's done. Get an attitude of gratitude. Begin to be thankful for the season you live in, for the life you've already lived. Remember the good things. It says then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything or anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your heart and your minds. You ever realize that everything in the Bible is pretty much connected? (laughs) So he tells us, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, he also had something to say about those three things before. He told the Corinthians that these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So I told you, I'm not so concerned about what will happen, but how we face it. We face it in faith, hope, and love. God, I believe you. What you said is true. You will always come through for me. God, I know that you love me and that your love never ends. Each day it remains the same. I thank you, Father, that I am forever surrounded by an ocean of your love. Father, I thank you that there is always a hope of salvation, that you saved me to the uttermost, and that there is nothing that I can do or anyone on this earth can do to change that. I have a hope in God. Why? Because the season doesn't change the sun. So back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You guys getting something out of this this morning? We are to have a posture of faith, hope, and love continually. Because he doesn't change. But the next verse in verse 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
you want to know what that word for wrath means? It's the word orga, which means he's not appointed you to anger. He's not appointed you to have a temper. He didn't appoint you to be agitated in your soul. He didn't appoint you to have a violent emotion. And we put this in the context, you want to know some of the most angriest people I've ever met? It's people that specialize in eschatology and end times theology. The word of God should not make you angry. It should make you at peace because it puts you in touch with the one who is nothing but peace. So God did not appoint us to wrath. And if you feel yourself getting angry about any of these types of things when you hear people talking about the end times, it's not God. He's, but he has called us to obtain salvation. The word is soteria, which is not just I go to heaven when I die. It's the inclusive word of God's provision in every area of your life. That we are to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether you're about to die or whether you're living in the fullness of life, you're together with him. Therefore, freak out about every little thing that happens in the world. No, 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 no. Fall into every conspiracy theory about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. No, 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 no. Therefore, comfort each other and edify. Build up one another just as you are doing. Meaning, if you're in the end, that still remains the same. Let's jump to the second book of Thessalonians. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because apparently Paul's answer to the Thessalonians didn't satisfy their curiosity and they had some sort of correspondence again and so he's going, well, I guess we need to go back and talk about it again. And it's fine. We all know, uh, if we take ourselves as a picture, we don't always get it the first time and God is willing to go back and tell you again. And so Paul, listening to the Holy Spirit, goes back to address these situations again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in, where? Mind. Or troubled. Where do we become troubled? Neither let your heart be troubled. Again, the two things he told us to take care of last time, not to be so too soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. So apparently they wrote back to him and said, but some people are telling us we've already missed it. And I know people personally who believe that. That Jesus already came, he already took the elect back then, and there was some that were just left, and they've kind of spread Jesus on. This is an actual belief that people have. Don't laugh. It is. It's true. It's pretty asinine, if you ask me, but he says, don't be concerned in your mind or in your heart as though this has already happened. Let, meaning you're in control, let no one deceive you by any means for the day uh, the for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first what did paul said there will people be people that will walk away and so here paul says 
to the Thessalonians, again, there will be people that will walk away. And the day of the Lord is not going to come until that begins to happen. And it says, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who are they talking about? The Antichrist. And who is the Antichrist? He is some sort of personification of everything that is anti-God. And John told us that the spirit of Antichrist has already been at work in this earth for 2,000 years. Why? Because the enemy wants you to move away from everything that is God, so he has a strategy of anti-God. And so the day will not come until there's a falling away and he shows up. And it says, he, he who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So here we have a problem, and why we know we're not in the last time is there is no temple. There are organizations preparing themselves to rebuild the temple and bring all of the articles of worship back in and to start sacrifices again. But as of right now, it does not exist. So we know we are not at the end because at some point they're going to have to rebuild it so that he can sit down and say, hey guys, I'm God. And he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So obviously this is a conversation he has with all of the churches that he starts so that they know. And he says, and now you know what is restraining, restraining the Antichrist, that he may be revealed in his own time. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And what is he talking about? He's talking that the Antichrist cannot have widespread work on this earth because the church is in the way. And until God comes and takes the church away, he will not show up on the scene. So you don't have to be concerned whether or not we're at the end. You're still here. You didn't miss it. Praise God. And it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He has a form. He tries to set himself up as God. But I want you to know he's a very poor example of what God is. Because it says right in the next verse, it says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And so he's able to deceive those who did not receive the love of the truth. Do you know what you're supposed to show as an example before people? Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, and by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do they come to recognize the love of the truth? They see it in you. Or at least they're supposed to. There is a work for us to do before any of this can happen. And in verse 15 it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or by epistle, or our epistle. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 
So we're we supposed to keep doing the same thing we were taught in Christ Jesus. We are to show love. We are to believe. We are to stand on a hope of salvation. And you know, the Antichrist that will appear is absolutely weak. Now, there's a scripture here I think I missed somewhere. Let me see if I can find it because it's awesome scripture. Yeah. So we said it here in verse chapter 2 of verse 7. It says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken away. Talking about the church being removed so that he can flow, the Antichrist can have um, room. But the next verse is this, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. It says that when he shows up on the scene, he didn't even have to say a word, it's a breath. And he's gone, done, destroyed, annihilated. And so we need to keep things like that in perspective. The power of the enemy is weak. And one word from God will change your life, and one breath of his mouth will destroy your obstacles. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't have to be concerned and worked up about what may come and what might happen and might not. You've called us to be steadfast and confident in you and in your love, your grace, your hope of salvation. So, Father, whatever may come in the days, weeks, months, years, and decades ahead, I thank you, Father, that I am found in your spirit, grounded in your word, and I choose to believe in your goodness. And we thank you for it. Now, maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't even made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's where we start. You want to have security and provision and be wrapped up in his love on a daily basis? It just starts with opening your heart and to receive him. And so we would love to pray with you right now. Come on, church, let's pray. Say, Father God, right now I receive Jesus. I receive his love. I receive his peace. And I thank you that I now have a hope. A hope for tomorrow. A hope of security. A hope of provision. A hope of all things that are found in you, God. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning from wherever you are in the world, we would love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. But guys, this is not something that we need to be concerned and worried about. It doesn't change the Father. The seasons change four times a year. And it doesn't move the Son of God. Pastor Robin. Praise God. It is that time. Time to be cheerful as we give the offering. Amen? Amen. So let's just have a look at that scripture. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what else we, we find here? We find that people that give are people that are walking in peace. And I'm so impressed with all of you because you're all givers and uh, things are just keep flowing. And even though there's there's turmoil and there's, there's troubles out there, you know, economically, 
we continue to do what God told us to do. And that is so. Amen? Amen. And we're able to because God is blessing us. Amen? Amen. So that's a way, that's why we can give cheerfully. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. So there is several ways you can give. Just here. You can give by going on the website, wordchurch.ca. Backward slash give. And, uh, and of course, gifts that we do here as just drop the envelope in the basket on the way out the door. Amen? Amen. You are blessed, right? God bless.